on, but uh, as I was sharing with some others, last week, Saturday, an hour before the Saturday evening service, I was just sitting at my desk falling asleep. <laughs> I thought I just had no energy and was wiped out. And uh, I called Rob. He was down here playing the drums with the worship team. I said, brother, instant, in season and out. <laughs> Add the Holy Ghost and stir because you're preaching. And, uh, and he did. And yeah. Still. Yeah. Keep praying for John and Donna. John is here this morning. Been, I mean, they missed Christmas and the holidays and everything with their family because of this stuff and and uh, lots of things. So. Yeah. We need to get her up and let's just pray for her right now. Amen. Father, we thank you for Donna. We continue to pray for her in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, you're the healer. You're the great physician. We ask that you'll go right there with her now and minister life in her body, that your strength and your presence will uh, just defeat everything that's working against her physical body. In Jesus, you will be glorified and your name will be honored through her lips and ours as we give you praise for it. Bring strength and life to her. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yeah, so about 24 hours later, I was up and running. It was nice. And I had to conclude that God just wanted Rob to preach. And he knew the only way to keep me home was to knock me out. Because I love being here. I love being here. We've been talking this week, uh, Ed and Rob, myself, and uh, you know, as you do, you lay your plans for the coming year. How many of you are looking at 2010? Here we are the first weekend and saying things like, okay, what's this going to be? Do you do that? Yes. Are you into that? And uh, you, Hopefully you're not setting a bunch of resolutions to break by the end of the month. <laughs> you know, don't bother with that stuff. Um, you know, you can make some resolves. That's good. But uh, generally you're going to fail because it's with this heightened emotional level of, I'm, okay, I'm just going to do better. And, and, you know, you're just as weak as you were last year in that area. And so you're probably not going to do any better without God's help. Right? I'm not trying to condemn you in your starting gate here and say don't run the race. I was saying that you know New Year's resolutions come and go pretty quickly. But as we're discussing and praying together and we're asking God to, to, to show us where, to, where He wants to go with the body this year, and we want to take a long view and, and uh, plan in, in the right direction how to minister to the families of the church, how to build the cells of the church, how to uh, strengthen the leadership in uh, all the areas of, of lighthouse keepers and, and those that are, you know, greeters and ushers and those that are in with our kids especially because uh, we still have, have a kind of a split service here, right, where we're here and the kids are next door. And I'm an old Norman Rockwell kind of guy. I like that all the family in the row and the kids lined up and obedient. <laughs> but that's why they're over there. I mean, <laughs> I remember the stories my mom used to tell me about taking us to the Methodist church when I was a little kid, and she'd put tape on our hands. And she said, it took us nearly 30 minutes to get it off. And that's how she kept us quiet. Isn't that something? It's pretty tricky. She'd just say, here, line up. She put four boys, single parent, mom, tape us all up and say, now get that off, and you can't talk till you get it off. And we work on that, working about 30 minutes later, the service was over and we were safe. There's a way to train your kids, right? I mean, you weigh over 100 pounds and they're under 30. You should be able to control them. Okay, that's not the message today, I see. 
Turn me to Matthew chapter 4. I have to be careful what I say because, you know, they're going to throw this on the internet and I could be held accountable somewhere. Usually I like just talking to family in the living room here in the celebration center. We can say things and get away with it. But when they publish it out there for others to bake you by, you have to be a little more careful, I guess. <clears throat> Somebody might have interpreted that last statement about child abuse or something. But anyway, it's hard when you have a big family, though, when you, know, you have four or five kids. And uh, remember this going into a restaurant. Where are they going to put you? You walk into a restaurant, you've got more than, more than four. They look at you and say, oh, well, uh, wait just a minute. Like they don't know what to do yet. Then they look into their space and they go, oh, there's two tables of four right in the middle of the room. <laughs> and the, well, we'll just put these two tables together. And you guys can be on display in the center of all the other booths. And now you got a you got a challenge on your hand of trying to you know say no we don't want to sit in the middle we've actually asked in the past the, Could, don't you have like a back dining room that's not open <laughs> yeah we do we'd like to sit there <laughs> in case a food fight breaks out or something but in our in our I'll get back on task here in our conversations about God where where do you want us to go this year where is and we don't get it all up front it's not how God says here let me tell you what you're going to be talking about in December in the messages and the strengthening of the church, but there, <clears throat> there are general directions and underlying tones that we believe the Holy Spirit wants to break out upon us. I, I took the painting down off my wall in my office and threw up a chunk of whiteboard and just screwed it to the wall, and we've been writing things on the wall. And uh, last week, Rob said to me, I'm not going to tell you yet what the Lord spoke to me. And he's next door, so I can get away with this. Uh, he said, but, but I'll just give you one word, deliberate. God's talking to me about some things that we need to do deliberately. And so it rings true in my spirit. So I took my little green marker and wrote up on my wall, deliberate. And I know that that's a piece of what God is saying to us. But Rob's going to have to unfold that part for me because I'm not getting what he's hearing. But I, I do want to share with you four things this morning that are on my heart and my spirit and that I believe God wants us to accomplish during this next season of ministry time together. And there are four real specific things that are on my heart. One is basically that we're, we're going to go on a spiritual journey together. I'd like to have a journey of spirituality this year and, uh, and a, a journey of maturity. Would you like to be able to get to the end of the year and say, I'm, I'm more grown up than I was in January? Amen. And uh, would you like to get to the end of the year and say that, you know, I'm a more spiritual person than I was when I started? Yeah. We all want to grow. We're made to grow. We're, 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 we're built to change and to grow. And unfortunately, sometimes growth means pain. And so we avoid some of it. But if we're willing to go through the pain of growth and change, then I believe by the end of the year, we can say that we've come somewhere. We've come from somewhere and we've grown to something new. And not just random things. Not just, well, I'm, I'm better at, you know, um, loving my enemies. That would be good. Right? If you could love your enemies more than you do now. That would be helpful. It <laughs> would be more helpful if your enemies could love you. But, but, you know, there are... I think we need to be seeing spirituality in our midst especially in our cell groups I think we ought to be seeing the move of the Holy Spirit in ourselves and in our services 
I'd love to see it break out in the cells first, personally. I like having it here uh, when there's like this morning, uh, uh, very specifically, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, gifts of the Spirit, message in tongues and interpretation here this morning. The gifts uh, and the fruit of the Spirit are for today. We should see them operating in our midst and bringing strength and comfort and direction and things to us. Amen. And, uh, and, and yet... We are still designed here this morning, you can see it in the way we have our chairs set up, everybody face forward and have one person yell at everyone before they go home. And uh, for a season in our time together, we line a few others up here and they lead music and we, we have this kind of back and forth effect. In my mind, I want to see us all in a big circle. Now you know, if you've been around for a couple of years, I can put things in a circle and really mess things up. Uh, I've created havoc with circles, and so I don't approach it very quickly anymore because people are a little nervous about it. You know, uh-oh, here goes to the circle thing again. So I just do it in my mind, all right? So if you'll allow me to do that, I, I, I see it last night. We had a, a, a group that fit. If we all stood up, we all fit right around this center section of chairs. So last night for communion, we just stood in a big circle, and we passed the communion around. We were facing each other. I really like that. I like it in the cells because you're facing one another. You're able to look into each other's eyes. It makes us nervous. Some of us are just a little nervous about that face-to-face stuff. But I want a face-to-face relationship with Jesus. Amen? When I'm following Him, I want a clear view of His back because I want to know He's in front of me. But when there's communion and fellowship time, I want Jesus praying and breaking the bread and handing it to me eyeball-to-eyeball fellowship. And so I think the body of Christ should grow in this aspect in the coming year that we would find ourselves face-to-face with one another and face-to-face with God. And that in those moments we allow Him to do whatever He wants to do. And that God has given gifts of grace, uh, uh, gifts of healing, uh, miracles, signs, wonders, prophecies, tongues, all the things we find in 1 Corinthians 12 can operate in our cell groups. That's going to take a little training, a little encouragement, and lots of prayer. But wouldn't it be awesome to every week walk into your lighthouse, into your cell group, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, on the back of your bulletin, there's a list of them. That's what we meet during the week in in small groups. We call them cells, which is dangerous when Al-Qaeda's on the move. People say, I want to know if we're a terrorist cell. I always tell them, yeah, we're a terrorist cell. We're all about terrorizing the world for Jesus. But in those cells, to walk in in a hurting condition and to have the gifts of the Spirit move through your friends and to go out healed, blessed, strengthened, ministered to. And no, I mean, you would be hard-pressed to keep you away from the one next week, right? You say, oh, when's the next one? Does we have to wait a week? We don't have to wait a week. Let's go get coffee. Let's do it again. And to, Or for you to be there and to see your friend walk through the door and isn't it when you're close to people and they walk in, they don't have to say anything for you to know what condition they're in, right? Yeah. You look at their face and go, whoo, life's not good today for them. And but say, you know, it's, it's not time to rag on them or nag on them. It's time to say, okay, here's what we got to let. I have to be strong in the Spirit. I have to be strong in the Spirit because God wants to minister to my friend. And we're not just a bunch of friends having coffee. We're in a place where we're saying the dynamic of the Holy Spirit should manifest in our midst so that God can do what He wants to do. Because He can do in an instant what we try to counsel for years. So spiritual maturity, a journey of spirituality and maturity this year is, is on my heart. 
in, in these four areas specifically. One, I think we're going to spend time hearing about the kingdom of God. I ask you to turn to Matthew 4, verse 17, where Jesus, this is after the temptation of Jesus, this is after he has defeated Satan in the wilderness by saying, this is what the Word says, this is what the Word says, right? And uh, he defeats the enemy, and the angels come and minister to him. In verse 11, And by the time we get to verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The theme of the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, both interchangeable, you'll read them in different versions, different ways, but they are synonymous. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. The message of Jesus was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, we say that the kingdom of God is now but not yet. Now, but not yet. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, find a simple verse. I'm, I know I'm pulling this very much out of context, but let me, if, if you'll allow me to do that without breaking any theological boundaries. In verse 24, it says this, Then comes the end, when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So the kingdom of God is now and has been since Jesus came. It was his first message, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Everywhere you see Jesus go, miracles happen, right? He is the king, and it is his kingdom. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is in our midst. It's among you now. And he would go, and people would be healed. Uh, People were raised from the dead. The blind would see. The woman with the issue of blood. Uh, We could just go right through the Gospels and see where Jesus went and brought the kingdom of heaven to bear upon men and women and children. Miracles took place. And so the kingdom of heaven was here, but it's not yet complete. Because this First Corinthians passage tells us there's a coming a time when Jesus will put every enemy under his feet. And the last one to be conquered is death. And we don't see death conquered yet. It still works against us. So the kingdom of God is here now, but not complete yet. And we're going to investigate that, I think, throughout the year. Why is it that way? And what does it mean to us? So the kingdom of God is one theme. I think, by the way, that in our spiritual maturing, we're going to discover that the kingdom of God is with us. The kingdom of God is in us because the king lives inside. And if the king lives inside and he and I walk together, then that same uh, uh, dimension of the kingdom of God goes with me. And should change atmospheres. And should change people's lives. It should transform situations just because I'm there. You should be one of those people by the end of the year. And we don't have to wait till then. Let's make it by the end of January. You should be one of those people that when you walk into a room, people are glad you're there. They may not understand you, but they're still glad. Right? You know, that person is a little weird. But you know when they come around, it's good. It's good. I don't get it, but it's okay. And you should affect people that way. Because the kingdom of God is with you. And we are called on as his ambassadors of that kingdom in the scriptures to take that kingdom wherever we go. 
and to be his ambassador for that kingdom. And so the effects of that kingdom should be with us and follow us and demonstrate through us when we're with others. You think that would win some people to Christ? I think so. Number two is that we should have a spiritualistic worldview. And I'm going to separate those words and drop another one in the center. We need to have a spiritualistic, biblical worldview. I think people can have a worldview. And a worldview is sort of a macro view. It's a big view of how things work. When you glance into the news or you look at life or you look at nature, however, whatever, you're out at night looking at the stars and there should be this macro view of why are things the way they are. Now, we hold a spiritual worldview. But people around us, a lot of them have a spiritual worldview. They have a kind of a spiritism about them. They're where they invite anything to come. And they're open to whatever. And they have no specifics. And it's, I tell you what, you know, an open mind is a dangerous thing. Because anything could drop in there. Mm-hmm. And some people are so open-minded that they're open to everything in the Spirit. And that's dangerous. Amen? So... We want to drop in the center of this spiritualistic, biblical worldview. Because there is a worldview that comes from these pages that tells us exactly how things work. That tells us exactly what God had intent for from the very beginning. Now, does this book cover everything? No, I've got a world book set up on my shelf up there. It's outdated and it has more facts and figures in it than this book does. It's got more volumes. If you've got the Encyclopedia Britannica on your shelf, it's probably going to stay there forever because you can't understand it. Does anybody have one? It's a tough encyclopedia. That's why most of us don't have it. We have World Book. That's down there where we live. Amen. And I know all this stuff's online now, so it's a little different. But this doesn't cover everything. But the Bible says about itself that it gives us everything we need for life and well-being and truth. You know, that's one of the dud arguments of the non-believer. Well, the Bible's so limited in its scope. Well, yeah, it's very limited. It's all about God. It's all about God and His love for mankind and what He did to overcome the barriers and how it started and why it happened and what what was the intent from the beginning and where we're at now and where it's going to end up in the end. And it doesn't really matter if you know botany or not. It doesn't matter if you can turn to the sciences and discover all kinds of things, whether it be about plants, animals, life, minerals, and all that. This is going to rule out in the end. This truth. This is everything we need to develop a spiritualistic, biblical worldview. I'm not ruling out the others. But uh, one of the conversations I've had with Pastor Floyd Evers, it's very, very, uh, he's a, an excellent friend to me and he's been such a, a strong dimension in my life uh, he's speaking into me uh, these are things that we talk about saying you know what we need to understand from beginning to end that it's all about God and what he's doing and even though we may uh, introduce other understandings along the way and get I mean, we, there's nothing in here about going to the moon right but we did that and we're still shooting stuff out into space and learning about our things around us. And we got stuff in the bottom of the oceans looking for things down there. And some people are looking for the wrong reasons. It doesn't matter what we find. We're going to find that everything we find supports this, this scripture. So we know that even the simplest of us can approach the things of God and get a relationship with the Creator. 
And I'm not ruling out the other things, but there was a time even in the history of this nation where theology was what we called the queen of the sciences. Most of the Ivy League colleges were, were born as theological training centers. I don't know if you're aware of that, but all you know the, the Yales, Princeton's, and all the Ivy Leagues were founded because theology was the queen of the sciences. You studied theology first, and from and through theology, then you went and discovered the other sciences. Because without an understanding of God and the macro view of life and the biblical worldview, the other things would not continue to make sense. It's what holds everything together. Jesus, in fact, holds it all together. And if you rule him out, then things begin to unravel and fall apart and not make sense. Now we don't have the Bible. We don't have theology as the queen of the sciences. You know, if I was looking to send my kids to school, I'm not sure I'd like to send them to Yale or Harvard. Academically, sure. You want that degree hanging on the wall so they can go anywhere they want and wave it around and get a job. Or lead people or whatever. But that would not necessarily train them about the theology of, and understanding of God and how life really works. So part of our journey of spirituality and maturity this year is going to be understanding a spiritualistic, biblical worldview. How many of you have been through the Truth Project? I mean, was that a big help or what? And I, I see us maybe reviewing some points from there, maybe looking at all, all that again, maybe not going through the whole process again as a congregation, but if the Lord leads us in that direction, it's a helpful tool, we'll use it. But we do need to get our feet under us so that when things happen, the spiritualistic biblical worldview will alter the way you live the rest of this day and tomorrow. This isn't some far-fetched idea. It affects us. You want to see how it affects us negatively? It's even in the Scriptures. They were talking about um, Jesus is coming again. When Dave Oberman was here, he challenged us with this thought. It was a, I hope you got it. If you didn't, let me share it with you, and maybe you will. He said that for the guys in the early church, in the New, early New Testament church, when they talked about Jesus coming again, they weren't discussing theology. They weren't trying to figure out, was it pre, post, mid, ah, uh, trib, whatever. They were just saying, Jesus is coming. And it may be tomorrow. And it affected the way they woke up and lived every day. They lived with an edge of Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Could be today. Let's get about the Father's business. Let's be busy about the kingdom of God. Let's have our hearts ready in case it's in the next five minutes. But He's coming. And there was this elevated level of anticipation of the return of Christ that altered the way they lived. So much so that the Thessalonians just quit working. You read it. Remember Paul writes to him and says, you know, you've got to tell those guys that the man that doesn't work doesn't eat. They had, they had so believed that Jesus was coming back that the idea of working tomorrow was pointless. Why go to work if Jesus is coming? I mean, it's, not, he's, it's that close. Let's just forget the eight-hour jobs and the pounding out and making tables or whatever it is we do because he's coming. Let's wait. They started sponging off everybody else and mooching because they didn't have anything to eat. And, well, he didn't come yet. Can I get a sandwich? You know, uh, well, I thought he was coming last week. He did come. Can I borrow some of your... And they became a plight on each other. And Paul had to write to him and say, Listen, tell those guys to get to work. Their, their theology is bent a little far. Their spiritualistic biblical worldview is just spiritualistic. Okay? It affects the way we live. 
I, I go through a list in my mind and I think it's unfair sometimes for me to put my stuff on you because you've got your own list of how it should affect the way you live. You know, I, I tend to think in simple terms, like when somebody pulls out in front of me, where's my biblical worldview? <laughs> Do I just rush immediately to that part where I'm supposed to dominate? <laughs> and just, you know, road rage? And... It should affect the way we live. Number three, we must have a grace bias. A grace bias. Now, this might amaze you, it amazes me, but I'm a simple guy and you may be deeper than I am, but grace shows up in in the first few chapters of the Bible. When Adam and Eve sin and God takes and kills an animal and clothes them, he's covering them with his grace. Immediately. By the time we get to chapter 6 in Genesis, by the way, how many of you have decided you're going to read the Bible through again this year? How many of you are just thinking about it? How many of you aren't thinking about it at all? <laughs> how many of you did not raise your hands? <laughs> Can we put that up, the U version thing? I wanted to show you something here that I'm excited about. But in Genesis chapter 6, Everything's gone wrong. In verse 5 it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was, was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Whew. That was a tough scenario, huh? And the next sentence for us is written down. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Only by God's grace can we survive. Now grace, lots want to you know, give us some kind of a definition for it, such as unmerited favor or uh, something along that lines. And that's, that's okay, because it's true. I don't deserve it. It's nothing I can earn. I can't, I can't pursue it, buy it, get it, work it up. It has to be a gift from God. It's His grace. And I can't do anything that's required of me in the Scriptures without His grace. Oftentimes the church, I'll throw myself in with this, we we might preach messages that go like this. Prayer. Prayer is so important. Prayer. You should pray more. And you're not praying enough. That's our motivation to get you to pray more. Is to heap guilt upon you. Right? You don't pray enough. You need to pray more. And you might even sit there and go, Oh, you're so right. I should be hard on myself. I'm going to do better. And your doer's worn out. Your doer doesn't do it. Right? You, you, you work at it and your doer quits on the second day and you're a failure. And then guilt condemnation, the enemy loves to come along and get on that wagon and say, man, you're right, you're a loser. You'll never read the Bible through in a year. You'll never pray like you're supposed to. You Listen, anytime you feel like you're not praying enough, just remember a guy like Ted Rose that says, I pray about six hours a day, and I just don't pray enough. <laughs> well, I'm not in competition, but if he feels that way praying six hours a day, I, I could work anywhere between where I'm at and six hours a day knowing that I'll never say I've prayed enough. I know I've prayed enough when the grace of God has helped me pray. I know that His grace is going to help me love my enemies. 
I know that by His grace, I'm going to be able to mature and grow and understand things. But without grace, this is just a lot of work that we can't do. The law comes to kill us, Paul said. Uh, but Jesus came, John chapter 1. Let me hang on to this one. The Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We need grace. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's His favor towards us. It's His decision to love us. We've answered that question before. Why, does, why did God love me? And the answer is simple. Because He wanted to. That's it. Because it can't stand on any other ground. Why did God love me? Because I was so good. Well, that's not going to fly. Because I kept all the law perfectly. That doesn't happen. Because I live on the right um, political structure. No. Uh, because I was born in America. Or India. Or Australia. Or Kenya. No. That's not, it's just the only reason God loves anybody is because he decided he wanted to. And that's grace. I want to live in the freedom of a grace bias. That's part of our spiritual journey. I asked Ed to put this up for us. Um, I'm excited about this, reading through the Bible again uh, this year. And Katie and I have been Yahoo in the Chronological Bible. Anybody read the Chronological Bible? I like the Chronological Bible. It, it just puts everything in order. You know, I, I always say this when David's running from Saul, uh, and Saul's on the hunt to kill King David, and, and David writes a psalm about it. They put the psalm right there in where you're reading. You're reading, David's running from Saul, and then here's the psalm he wrote instead of waiting and get it over there in the 150 psalm package. But this is called you, Y-O-U, uversion.com. It's available on the internet. What I'm excited about is it's on my phone. That didn't get a very rousing response. Does anybody, you do stuff with your phone? How of you do not, I've got to see some hands here, do not mess around with the whole telephone, internet thing. You don't. You don't mess with it. Ah. I'm feeling really out in front. <laughs> well then, how many of you do participate on your computer on the internet? Okay, this might be helpful to you then. Uversion.com. It is mobile. That's the application I like. It's mobile, man. I can... Anyway, go to Uversion.com. These guys have offered... 20 reading plans for the scriptures. And if see the blue box, the head's clicking on there. New reading plans. New version reading plans. <clears throat> and the little box says, view reading plans right there. There's an overview and stuff you can look at and videos you can watch and all that. But here are all the reading plans they offer online. McShane, Outreach, New Testament, Old Testament, Psalms in 31 days, 1 to 1, 25 days, New Testament epistles and Acts, Psalms and Proverbs at the bottom. And you can gauge this out as long as you want. You can set it up on your own account and uh, make it last as long or as short as you want. And they will help you keep track of it right online. I'm on this one, the chronological one year. 
And I've got that downloaded on my phone. And every time I read a chapter, there's a little box there. I just check the box. And this guy keeps track of it for me. And it's going to tell me all year long what the percentage of my completion is. Now, for those of us that are lost in this kind of stuff, it's kind of fun. All right? But if it's not you, uh, let me recommend this. This is called a Bible. It's, it's available at your local store. Probably you have two or three at your house, and it works just as well. Amen? Amen. Yeah. The Bible works just as well. This works just as well. I use this. This is the Bible. I like it. But I, li- I like it. I have one that the Vasquez has gave me. It's a chronological one-year Bible. It's a little smaller than this and easy to read. But every day is laid out in a one so I can get it done in a year, all in chronological fashion. I want to read this one. We should read this one here. The B90X. Were you interested in that one? What's a B90X biblical reading plan? In 90 days. This reading plan is provided by the Elevation Church. B90X is a revolutionary system of intense, truth-absorbing, brain-busting Bible reading that will transform your understanding of Scripture from intro to nitro in just 90 days. Your personal trainer who walked the breath, Yahweh, will drag you through the most intense infusion of His vision that you have ever experienced, and you won't believe the results. I think I'm going to do that one next. 90 days of intro to nitro. Yeah! Man, fire up the Bible. This is... Anyway, so... Um, we're not short on tools. And if you got one of these, you got all the tool you need. But I want to encourage us to be looking into the Bible because we're not going to have a spiritualistic, biblical worldview unless we read the Word. And so again, first of the year, we encourage us. Read the Bible. Don't just play with it. Read it. Number four... The three kingdom of God, spiritualistic biblical worldviews to three grace bias, grace and truth comes through Jesus, and fourth is relational structures. Acts chapter two. I find that over half of what Jesus did when he was on the earth in three years, in his public ministry three years, he did in relational structures. It's a framework in which he was discipling his 12 more than, this is how others say it, if you look at all the things Jesus did in the New Testament and you calculate the time spent, number of days, etc., more than 51% of his time was spent with the 12 and the other percentage, 49% or so, was spent in public. This tells me something. This tells me that Jesus spent half of his life ministry discipling a dozen guys in a relational structure. They were on walks. They, were, they did the healing stuff together. They fed the thousands. They slept. They traveled. Uh, they were obedient to Jesus. He at one point said, okay, now you guys go out ahead of me. And I give you authority. And they went out come back saying, man, the demons are subject to us in your name, Jesus. And this is intense. Uh, we're raising the dead and healing the sick and announcing what? That the kingdom of God, and there we are back to number one again, the kingdom of God is among you. Jesus said, wherever you go, say the kingdom of God is at hand. Take the kingdom with you. And they came back with reports and they were accountable in their relationships. They had a relational structure, these 12, with Jesus himself. And so... As we look at the New Testament, and here in Acts chapter 2, we find toward the very end, the last two verses of the chapter, 
This is after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It says, So they continued, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved in the temple and house to house. If we turn over to chapter 20, this is a place where Paul is talking to the elders. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. He's talking to the Ephesian elders on his way to Rome. In verse 17, he says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. You also know how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. I've, I've taken the practice in, my, in this Bible. I've done a lot of things with this Bible, but you probably can't see this, but in the column over here next to the verse, I have a little check mark. When I'm reading through the New Testament and I find a passage that refers to people meeting in homes, the home meeting, the cell meeting, the small group, however you want to, terminology, it doesn't bother me. I, we call them cells. Groups of, of like 3 to 15 people that meet together in a home setting or in a business setting or somewhere outside of this building that we meet in to celebrate. In that environment, Paul is saying, I didn't keep back anything from you when I taught publicly, like we're doing today, or from house to house. In those settings where the relational structures were in place. When I think of relational structures, I, I think of Acts chapter 10, where... Uh, Peter is, uh, has been summoned by Cornelius, the centurion leader, who is a Gentile. And he's had a vision. Uh, and he said he sees Peter coming to him and explaining the things of the kingdom of God and salvation. And so after he's out of the vision, the angel tells him, send to Joppa and get Peter. Peter is out on the rooftop at his house. If you don't know these, I apologize. But he's on the rooftop waiting for dinner. And he has a vision where a sheet is lowered in front of him. And inside the sheet is all kinds of unclean animals. Peter's a Jew. He says, you know, these are things I don't mess with. These are unclean. But the word from God in that vision is arise, kill, and eat. And Peter keeps saying, ah, I don't eat that stuff. You know, that's, that's not what we do. And the sheet goes up. And then it comes down again, same thing. Rise, kill, and eat. Peter, rise, kill, and eat. He says, that. I can't do that. But as soon as the vision is over, the guys from Cornelius' house are knocking at the door. And uh, what do you want? We're looking for a guy named Peter. Why? Well, Cornelius wants to talk to him. He's had a vision uh, that he's going to come share the gospel with us, basically. And Peter says, oh, I get it. I've got to go to a Gentile's house. And God is telling me not to call unclean what he calls clean. And God is opening the door for the gospel to move into the Gentiles. So Peter goes with them. They arrive at Cornelius' house, and the Bible will tell you in Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius, while he's been waiting for Peter to arrive, hasn't been sitting around growing moss. He's invited all of his friends. He's invited his family. He's invited all the important people in his life to be at his house when Peter gets there. And so here's a home meeting. This is going to get a check mark in my margin, that here's a home meeting. And Peter walks into a Gentile home meeting for the first time. He's not supposed to be in the Gentile's home. He's brought some other Jews with him, and they're probably feeling like they're a little on the edge too, walking into this moment with a bunch of Gentiles, some Roman soldiers. 
Peter says, why am I here? Cornelius says, I've invited all my family. I've got a home meeting here. I've got a cell group. I've got a relational structure in which God wants to move. Can I interpret it that way in this point? God moves in relational structures. The part, one of the hardest things you will ever have to overcome in your Western Christianity, and I speak as one myself, is being independent. We have been trained to be independent. Even when we go to a small group, here's how we can come into it. We come into it saying something like, I have it figured out, I know I'm right, and I've got my own biblical worldview, and I'm, I'm coming to this group, and my, the greatest calling I can have today is to put up with the rest of them. And if somebody brings up an opposite opinion or somebody brings up a different view, mine is just to be quiet and wait till the thing is over because I don't want to rebuke them in public because I'm right and they're probably wrong. There's an independent arrogance that comes with how we've trained ourselves in Western Christianity that says, I've got it and nobody else does. And we've been trained to be very independent. I'm pounding on this word, independent, independent. The Bible says we are members of one another. We, we had that communion earlier. I'm trying to stress this moment in our spiritual maturing, we have to give grace and acceptance and embracing of one another, saying God's given you a facet of understanding in His Word that I may not have yet. He's given you a, a grace to move in a certain gift and operation of His Spirit that I don't operate in. So let me stand aside while your gift operates because it's necessary to have it in the body of Christ. Am I making any sense to you this morning? Good. Thank you. So Peter stands in this group and and here he is in a relational structure. The only people in the room are people that are loved and known by Cornelius. They're his close friends. They're his associates. We would call them in a Greek word his oikos. O-I-K-O-S. That's a Greek word oikos that means those who are nearest to you in your circle of family or friendship. All of us have one. In fact, if we were going to do an exercise, they pull out a piece of paper or write down the, the 10 to 15 people that you are with most often every week. You say, oh, you know, you put your spouse down. After a while, you'd run out of names. You go, well, what is he talking about? Well, then you'd say, how am, I, how am I with a lot? Well, I'm with the people at work. Well, they're part of your oikos. You're with them eight hours a day if you work in the same place and they're in a little cubicle next to you or whatever. That's part of your oikos. This is part of your influence. This is where God has you in the middle of these 10 or 15 people. And Cornelius reached out to the circle of his friends and had him at his house when Peter got there. Peter says, well, I get it. You had a vision. I had a vision. We both have a biblical worldview that there is another dimension that we can't see. And that we're having an interaction verbally with heaven. Hey, that's a biblical worldview. That's a spiritualistic worldview. That stretches beyond the natural and the three senses or the three dimensions. It embraces that there's a dimension I can't see, but it's just as vibrant and alive and active as the one I'm standing in. Peter says, I had a vision, you had a vision, here's what God wants to do, and he starts preaching the gospel, and faith arises in all of their hearts, evidently at the same time, because the next thing that happens is the Holy Spirit descends and baptizes every one of them in the Holy Ghost. And the Jews who were there on the day of Pentecost to Jerusalem and saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, more than 16 nations present, all of them saying, these guys are talking our language, and bearing witness to the very infilling of the Holy Spirit. These same Jews now with Peter saying, "What we should get them baptized, because obviously God has accepted them in the same way He accepted us. He's poured out His Spirit upon them in the same way that He did on us. And so we're all one now. And then we move into the book of Colossians and Ephesians and we find out where God has taken down the middle wall of separation and made of the two one. 
body. Relational structures. It'll happen easier in our living rooms than trying to go out there and drag them into here every week. That'll sink in in about six months. Okay. So let me just finish there. That's kind of an introduction to the year. Uh, the nice part is, is that Rob has not told me what deliberate means to him, but he hasn't heard this message yet either. These are things we're talking about, we're praying about. Uh, last night we were exhorted in the congregation that when you want to see things happen spiritually, you need to get a real grip on the year or your life. Don't forget about fasting. Fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. You know, denying yourself and allowing the Spirit to rise is a powerful tool of spiritual discipline. I'm not going to preach a message now on fasting. I just, uh, my body hates the idea. Actually, my spirit loves it, but my body hates it. Uh, my, my body just curls up inside. No, no, don't, don't do that. I feel schizophrenic when I talk about fasting. My spirit man goes, yes, we're going to fast. The presence of God's going to come. Heavens are going to open. It's going to be awesome. My body's going, no, don't, 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 please, please. We'll be good. We'll be good. I, I won't make you do that stuff anymore. I promise. I just don't, just don't quit feeding me. Yeah, so. <laughs> Fasting and prayer for breakthrough, for elevation of spiritual things. And, and we'll talk more about fasting. I don't want to leave it as a joke, but fasting is where I love to, to like cottage cheese. <laughs> Anybody not like cottage cheese? I never did like cottage cheese. I could not figure out why they even put it in a bucket like that. <laughs> Who eats this stuff? I mean, Little Miss, Little Miss Muffet, maybe, you know, but not me. Yeah, pineapple. That's, I can understand putting something in it to help it. Curds and whey. But I was fasting one time and I was in a multiple day fast. And I was, my body was screaming, give it something. I thought, okay, if I, I got to eat something, I'm going to fade out here, I think. I'm, so I'll eat something that I absolutely hate because that won't like, be like breaking a fast. It'll be like punishment, you know. So I opened the fridge, and there it was right there in the front. I went, oh, ah, it's probably good for me. It probably would help. Protein, it's probably got stuff in it I could use right now in the middle of the seven days or whatever it was, fasting. I thought, okay. I'll just have a couple bites of that. Well, I finished it off. <laughs> I mean, uh, my flesh said, yeah, keep it coming, keep it coming. Come on, we don't care what it tastes like. Give it to us. And I like cottage cheese now. I still don't eat it very often, but it's amazing how you can go through those processes. See, yeah. I'd have to fast a long time to do liver. I think. <sighs> that might be a 30-day, 40-day fast. Thank you for being here this morning, and, and I hope this has been somewhat helpful. Um, we're going somewhere. God wants to take us somewhere. And, and may I say this to you, that unless you use something like this or your journal, as Rob preached last week, the journaling piece right toward the end of the message, so that, was, that was an excellent point, uh, to keep track of the things God has done in your life and be able to go back and say, you know, on this day, no, the devil's telling you God's unfaithful and this is never going to work out. You go, well, let me turn back a couple of months. Here's pages and pages and pages of what God was faithful. God answered prayer, and this is what happened. So if I fast forward, it's going to be okay on this end too.
So keeping track. But if you're going to be more spiritually matured at the end of this year than now, there has to be some record keeping or something you can mark that says, I did something that improved. Uh, one of the ladies last night said that she is on a, on a trek to memorize more scripture so that the sword of the spirit is more readily at hand in the times of conflict spiritually. And I said, that's a great tool. You know, God, the enemy comes to bring a lie and try and cloud the truth and you can pull out a scripture like the sword of the spirit, Ephesians chapter 6, and do warfare with that. Uh, you can defend your position by knowing scripture. And I said, well, then you, in her case, she'd be able to say at the end of the year, I've memorized X number of scriptures or passages that I didn't know at the beginning of the year. I have a mark and a a set that I can say this happened. How will you know at the end of your year that you've grown spiritually? I think another tool of measurement would be in a cell, the people sitting across from you will be your measuring tool. They'll be the ones saying, you know, you sure have grown this year. We see it manifesting in your life. It's just been incremental for you. But you're not the same person you were in January. Because you come in and you're filled with spirit and your gifts are operating and you pray and, and God answers and it's awesome and He's really alive in you. And I can testify. And oftentimes it's the people around us that can tell us that we're doing better than we think we are. And we should learn to trust them because we're going to be in relational structures. Okay? Enough said. Father, this morning, thank you for your word. Thank you for your macro view of everything that we're about. Lord, as we begin this new year, uh, we just pray that you'll protect us from being flippant or short-sighted in making simple resolutions and that you will give us the grace and fortitude that goes with it to strengthen our hands toward truly growing in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, uh, can we just open the door and invite you to begin to mature us, speak to us, Help us to work in and out of constantly the spiritualistic worldview that we're living uh, in a in a three dimensional life with at least four dimensions around us. Open our eyes to the spirit, to the things that are happening. Help us to understand the warfare between uh, ourselves and the spirit and the enemy of our souls. Help us not to discount his activity around us. And yet strengthen us by your grace and your gifts to defend ourselves accurately with your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.